Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is also available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. My guest today is trombonist Luis Bonilla. Uh, he plays with everybody <laughs> and uh, has for many years. He's got a great new record out now, which is filled with uh, humor and with devotion to his family and with fantastic playing. It's called I Talking Now, and this is the title track. My guest is trombonist uh, composer Luis Bonilla. He's got a new recording out called "I Talking Now" on uh, the Planet Arts label, a project of Planet Arts and the Now Jazz Consortium. And uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Luis to the show. Thanks a lot for being here. No, thank you for having me, Jason. I, I really love this record, first of all. And uh, one of the things I like about it is that the music is is serious, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. I think the the record is kind of everything about it, from the kind of the packaging to the the feel, there's a lot of kind of joy and humor in it as well. Do you think humor has an important place in kind of who you are as a musician or the music you play? Well, I, I think if, if one of your personality traits is to be humorous, then certainly. If uh, if you feel comfortable in displaying that, then, then why not? 
Uh, I tend to be uh, rather, uh, I do a considerable amount of teaching, and I tend to be uh, pretty animated as well with my students. So it has really encouraged me to be even more animated with my own music as well. So um, it's just a very <laughs> natural flow to uh, to have very animated music, uh, very animated uh, uh, characters and, and artwork on on the CD, and certainly in in our presentations as well. So you know, we really like to make everybody feel like they're, you know, in in on on the fun. It's uh, I don't know I, I don't know that I would per, I would particularly call it heady music, but uh, we certainly are delving into uh, you know in it deep deep into our souls to get this you know get this kind of emotion out, and uh, that's definitely driving the music. Yeah, and you've kind of anticipated my next question. Um, that that kind of combination of uh, lightheartedness and real seriousness about the music uh, is something that I think uh, Lester Bowie really reflected too. And I, I know you spent a lot of time with him. Do you think uh, some of what you're of what we're hearing on this record uh, was impacted by that time that you spent with Lester? No, oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, uh, Lester, besides being just an absolute uh, uh, solid musician. Uh, he was also a really great entertainer as well, and I don't really mean that kind of in, in a clowning around kind of sense, but he made the music that we played, regardless of whether it was uh, Willie Nelson or uh, uh, Whitney Houston or Michael Jackson or Rasan Roland Kirk, he made all that music very accessible to his audience. He just really kind of opened... Uh, open the gateways to to himself and the music and really and all the musicians as well and it it was a little bit of a throwback to uh sort of like when people would go see the Ellington band and maybe they were a particular fan of Cat Anderson or uh Johnny Hodgins or something like that over the years the uh, kind of like the particular or the individual faces have been somewhat uh, eliminated and it's just kind of like the the front front person well Lester really thrived on not only uh, encouraging you to do your own thing but uh, really expected because after all that is really what kind of made the uh, made the show and it really allowed um, the uh, the opportunity to uh, you know look into yourself and see what it is that you are trying to uh, express. I can't remember how many years ago it was now, but uh, the band Sex Mob, which is led by uh, trumpeter Steve, Steve Bernstein, Bernstein. Yeah, yes, uh, did a, uh, a record of James Bond music. And he said, uh, I think he told me this in an interview, but I can't remember, it doesn't matter. He said that uh, they can play the most out stuff in the world, and then when they hit the James Bond theme... They bring everybody in, and um, I think you know. It sounds like what he meant by that was somewhat similar to what you were just saying about Lester, or even about your own music. That if you can you can bring people in by making it seem inviting, you don't have to dumb down the music to do that. Um, you just make the kind of atmosphere inviting for people. Is that is that a fair statement? Absolutely, and uh, you know we certainly want to try to present it as palatable as possible. Uh, some of the music. It can be it can be uh, adventurous, and you want to take your listeners on that kind of journey. But if you just kind of leave them out there dangling, uh, they're not going to feel very comfortable after after a while. You got to bring them back home, just like anything else. And once you really kind of play uh, a space or a room, you know this is um, 
I see it as you know this is a this is a joint venture. Everybody that's here, we're in this together. So for me to you know I if I want to try to take them out as as far uh, to the edge as possible and maybe even a little bit over, I will certainly pull you right back in and just let you, you know, try to experience a variation of of, dy- of musical dynamics. played everything at this point. I mean, you've you've been in the big band world, salsa, you know, pop uh, recordings, obviously the kind of uh, jazz that's on the record um, that we're talking about now. Uh, how do all those, how does all that varied experience kind of come to play when you're deciding what to put on a record like I Talking Now? Well, the, I think the, the first thing that really drove me to uh, to write the music for this particular record was really emotionally based and really kind of coming from from the aspect of having fun but the fact that uh, I've spent so many years working with such a varied um, uh, music whether it's Brazilian or pop or salsa or jazz or uh, regardless what that in kind of did was uh, expands my uh, ability to uh, perform or express myself as uh, as, a, as a stylist so that I'm not, you know, I, I tell my students uh, often, say you're playing with a really burning Latin band and it's like the band's going and going and it's like you're, you're going crazy and they look at you and they say, play, play! And you know, you turn around, you start to go. They're gonna look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> I thought the guy, I thought he could play. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like really trying to uh, express yourself in that particular situation. And there are many ways to express our, our, ourselves. And if we only uh, stick to just um, a very narrow palette, then it tends to make it uh, challenging for the listener to remain engaged. 
your family seems to have played a big part in inspiring uh, tunes on this record. I think there's maybe four tracks on the record, including the uh, the title track, that draw some kind of inspiration from the people in your life. Is that a is that a common source for you of of inspiration when you're composing? Oh uh, yeah, because that's what I seem to um, know best. That's where it's it's easiest for me to. Uh, channeled back into my memories and you know I lost my dad back in 2000 but the memories uh, he was such a dynamic uh, personality that the uh, his personality traits still uh, still ring through with uh, with many many of my friends and family throughout so we have uh, a whole series of jokes that will basically like go back and forth for about half an hour and just you know, and then every once in a while, somebody will remember something like, "Oh yeah, that one." Yet, uh, I was very fortunate to to have a very uh, uh, sturdy family upbringing with uh, with both parents and two brothers, and um, you know, not not a lot of room for getting too chesty or you know, <laughs> because there was, there was always a smackdown right around the corner. <laughs> you know, yeah. Were your uh, were your parents initially supportive of your decision to become a professional musician? Well, you know, I don't think I don't I don't really think, and you know, my mom's still alive and still in Los Angeles. I'm not really so sure that she still understands what what it is that I do. She just sees well in the in the days of uh, postcards, I used to send her postcards from you know, all over the world when I was traveling, and she was like always just thinking that I was you know basically living living on a plane, <laughs> you know. So they didn't, really, didn't really understand, but they never discouraged it. It took a long time. Um, it took a few years of me begging my father to buy me a trombone, finally, because he didn't he didn't want to uh, commit to it after he had already committed uh, my older brother to uh, accordion lessons, which he dreaded. <laughs> so, so when uh, when I finally uh, when he, when he finally gave me the trombone, I really asserted myself. Uh, a lot to it. I was really fortunate. I had some great direction with a teacher, Roy Main, out in California. He's actually up in Cambria now. And really not only showed me an awful lot about the trombone, certainly, but uh, enlightened me in terms of uh, how to find a friendship within music and explore a little deeper and find love and then be able to, in turn, uh, take your experiences and express them. So... My parents were were always very. Let's say they were supportive because they never told me not to do it. I fortunately never really had to ask them for for anything, but uh, if I did, it was always there. What do you mean by uh, find a, f- a friendship within music? Uh, well, when when uh, when I was growing up, I was uh, well, let's say a rather tumultuous child. <laughs> I was always looking to, to get in trouble and just very kind of headstrong and stuff. When my two other brothers were going out, I really, uh, when, once I started studying, uh, spent hours with the trombone just to kind of figure it out. I was really very curious. And I would six, seven hours would go by in one day, and that was no big deal. But it would be day after day after day after day. And I really kind of learned that the instrument was, was a companion and also a um, tool that allowed me to search inward. How can I say it? Uh, allowed me to to look in to look deep inside myself to see what was really going on. To be honest with myself. 
And why did you why did you gravitate toward the trombone as that vehicle? Well, that uh, that was no uh, that that really wasn't my choice. When I when I uh, went to Eagle Rock Junior High School, I was given uh, five classes, and I had to choose an elective. It was either choir or beginning brass. My older brother, who was uh, registering for high school, had had a scene with the uh, choir director, and so he suggested beginning brass. I thought it was a shop class. Lamps, ashtrays, etc. So that is a real story. I have no, I've read that story, but I thought it was just a funny. <laughs> it's it's true. So the band director John Ronaldo, who taught at Eagle Rock High School and put out a lot of really great musicians from uh, from that school, uh, Larry Coons, who I just saw a couple weeks ago at uh, at the uh, John Addison Ford Theater, uh, uh, Sharon Herrada, and uh, Art Arturo Velasco, his two sons, uh, David. And Doug, um, he put he put out many, and of course Carlos Vega, a really great drummer, just played with everybody, and he really expected a lot of us and presented it in kind of a way of, uh, as a challenge. So I always felt a little challenged, like okay, well I'm going to show him I can do this. So the first, well the first day I had absolutely no idea. There may be uh, half a dozen students, and it's a trumpet, 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 trumpet pointed at me. I need trombone players, trombone. Trumpet, trumpet, and the last guy trombone, and and that was it. And I was developed. I had a. I think to, in order to play the trombone, uh, you have to have some kind of natural ability to play it because it can be a uh, an awkward instrument to play. You also have to have a considerable sense of humor. Because, I mean, you know, I a, my brothers would always come by to give me the elephant sound. How about wah wah wah? It was like you know, <laughs> constant. <laughs> so yeah, so. Like I say, keep you in check.
Yeah, it seems like uh, the trombone it just really strikes me as one of the hardest instruments to learn to play well. I mean, to really play fluidly. You have to basically articulate every uh, every every note. Um, and the, the slide is a feel, but I think it's pretty much like any other instrument in terms of just once you, uh, a matter of repetition, once you've done it enough times, you, you get a feel for it. Physically, I, I think, personally, I think the most difficult instrument to play physically is, is the trumpet. That's just really very difficult. And the trombone is twice its size, so it's not that far behind, but I think maybe the clarinet's like right in the middle. Will you talk about, uh, you've got a, a really killer band uh, on the new record. Can you talk about the guys who are on the record with you? Oh, um, I remember when when I wanted to put this band together, I really wanted to build it around John Riley, who I play with the, at the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra with. And it everything pretty much de- determined his, his availability, because was, he's not only, I, I was looked at him as, Sort of a, a surgeon, the surgeon of drummers, so absolutely accurate. So it's like just super clean, doesn't miss anything, yet has the ability to really like stretch uh, a little further. So I personally wanted to kind of take on the little challenge on myself, just to push him a little further and kind of get him out of his own comfort zone to to do this. And he questioned me. Uh, for two days in the studio, he questioned me constantly. I think I'm overplaying. I think I'm doing too much. No, no, no. Just, and I just kept pushing him more, more, more. So, and he's certainly very happy with the results. So, uh, he's uh, certainly a, uh, a huge anchor in the band. Andy McKee, who I played with uh, in the Mingus band in its uh, in its early days, in the early mid '90s, uh, I've always just really uh, loved his playing. Love him as a person. Uh, he's very spontaneous, very aware, sensitive, uh, and solid. He just, you know, just, he's always there. Arturo Farrell, who I got to know uh, through the early recordings of Carla Blay. Of course, I've been playing with him for, for quite a few years since I've been here in New York. But many people don't know uh, his, his playing from there. He's absolutely one of, hands down, one of the most versatile, uh, certainly keyboard players. Because he, he really plays the uh, the organ extremely extremely well, besides of course the piano, um, and then the young tenor, uh, my truly my partner in crime, Ivan Renta from Puerto Rico. He's all of maybe twenty seven, twenty years old. Already been in uh, New York for about ten years, and pretty much has played with just about every prodigy of uh, Mario Rivera. So you know, it's very, it's a very it's. Uh, the band is steeped in in friendship, love, and perhaps uh, more importantly, uh, trust. Absolute trust. You talked about in the session telling John Riley more. More. Did you have a? Uh, did you have kind of a sense of of where you wanted this record uh, to go when you when you walked in the studio? Obviously, you had the, the tunes, but did you have? What was your idea of of how it should sound? Of the the kind of fire it should have? I mean, it really it explodes right from the first track. And although there are reflective moments too, it's just it's really propulsive and and very driving. Is that is that kind of the area you wanted to explore with this particular band? I'd, it started to gravitate towards that uh, uh, naturally. We played at Dizzy's for a week before we went into the studio. That was basically our rehearsal. <laughs> so uh, the 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 tunes, uh, the tunes were already basically basically written. And every night, I would just try to push it just a little bit more. Just like try to push it a little bit more, a little bit more, and just try 
find maybe even uh, exceed the boundaries of what uh, I would consider is uh, the musical to unmusical uh, boundary, just to get a sense of, uh, you just be able to have something to gauge, just to kind of feel. And the more I, the more I push it, the more it started to change character. I don't know that I heard it as uh, as as animated, but um, I think the 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 more we worked it, the more I got excited about it, and just the the other guys were just very very sensitive to that and really uh, wanted to try and <laughs> jump on the bandwagon and try to make it uh, uh, make really make it something. So, Luis, did you write the tunes for this record already knowing who the band was going to be? Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. I I knew who I'd I'd had. Uh, I had maybe a, a couple of tunes that uh, that that were either that were sketches or that I'd played uh, before, but uh, the the majority of of the material, uh, especially the, the more adventurous material, is specifically written for uh, for the medium in mind. How did uh, how did people react to that that week at Dizzy's? Uh, <laughs> It was it was very nice. We, we did the after hours set, and uh, a common comment uh, was that uh, they wished they had seen me on the earlier set and not the late night set. <laughs> so it was good. I was like, you know, just really kind of keeping uh, keeping people at the edge of their seats, you know, in, including us. Because sometimes we didn't know what uh, what we were what we were getting into, and sometimes just on the on the bandstand. I spent a lot of years with Gerald Wilson. And I would, when I grew up in Los Angeles, and I would see Gerald. Sometimes he would just d- decide to, okay, well, we're gonna start the tune today at letter D. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you know, watch me, and then he kind of changed it up, and it was just always, you know, I've always considered this music a music of of communication. So as long as everybody's tuned in, there pretty much isn't anything we can't do. So uh, the tunes just kind of started to grow a little bit from even from the uh, from the first night that we started to play them uh, to the time we got into the uh, into the recording studio. They tend to tended to morph into more of a group sound, which is what I was really primarily interested in. That which is the other reason why I really uh, looked at uh, getting these uh, these particular musicians together because they would they would they're very sensitive and quick and would present a sound that would be of band like not just uh, a session with a bunch of great musicians
it sounds like you're very interested in in kind of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Because there's, uh, I would say that uh, I'm certainly most influenced by, um, as far as trombone players are concerned, by uh, Carl Fontana and uh, Frank Rosalino. Uh, the what what you hear is pretty far from that. Although there are uh, there are there are flashes of uh, of those influences. Uh, uh, constantly throughout, but I definitely really <laughs> try to jump into this pretty fearlessly. You know, last time I checked, nobody died from uh, playing a bad solo. You may, you may not get rehired, including that's my band, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, you might as well just throw it, throw it on out there. You know, we were uh, we were talking earlier about all the, the different bands that you've played in, and I think I've seen you with, uh, I don't know, four or five of them have seen you with Dave Douglas and with Arturo's band and the Mingus band. And um, is, it, is it challenging for you to kind of maintain your own musical identity in all of those settings? Or maybe a better, way, maybe a better question is, how do you do that? How do you stay true to who you are as a musician when what's around you is constantly changing? Uh, well, I, I look at these out at these outside in, in well, then they're not they're not really outside influences. They they may not be the absolute core of, of who I am, but uh, they certainly have contributed uh, uh, hugely to it. Uh, the music of Mingus has been something that has certainly attracted me hugely, uh, uh, as well as the music of Astro Gilberto and the music of Willie Colon. So it. I, I tend to, to look at it a little bit more as um, an opportunity to uh, really excel in a particular uh, sonic uh, uh, sonic environment. There's a certain feeling. There's a certain uh, there's a certain sound. There's a certain drive that uh, that each different ensemble has that is very attractive to me. So I take the things that really attract me the most and harbor them just kind of put them in and uh, and I, I love to cook too so I like, you know just kind of save them always always as in as ingredients one of one of the uh, one of the approaches that I took to playing on the, my playing for this record was the influence of Willie Cologne um, you know certainly no, most people don't know Willie Cologne certainly in the jazz field but uh, I studied him for several years, just literally studied him, just watch him play. And there's a certain grit and sound and emotion to, uh, and projection to his playing that really um, pierces the listener and really not only gets their attention but keeps them engaged. And that's hugely, hugely important. So to be able to uh, jump from style to style and or even you know even within the context of of one of one solo it's always i find very uh challenging to keep the listener interested um because after all if i'm not interested in it myself as i'm playing it then how could i possibly expect my listener to to be as well so, you know so it's really it's very very simple you know I'm really struck uh, listening to you talk about how important the the emotion of the experience is to you and the and the emotional connection with the people who are listening to the music. That sounds like it's really at the center of of what you're doing. 
Absolutely, absolutely. The uh, the way I hear the way I hear music. My my favorite band of of all time that I really grew up listening to over and over and over and over was all the Led Zeppelin. And I would just basically say they started as a blues band and they really just started to expand in so many other directions that uh, you could not not listen to it. And they would really great job at taking you on a journey. So if you're listening to music and it doesn't... For me, music um, is most uh, effective when it penetrates me and it, and it strikes a chord. It, it, it gives me half <laughs> it, it gives it gives me uh, an, an emotional charge. Well, we we can hear somebody else who probably gives you an emotional charge <laughs> yeah, there. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> who's, who's talking now? <laughs> okay, see. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so oh, your yeah. your dad's legacy continues, right? That's oh, yeah, uh, yeah it's third generation now. So she, you know, she's, uh, she was uh, in she was around. Around music from uh, from day minus one. You know? <laughs> That's <laughs> <So> right. <laughs> very very natural for her. Now, is that El- Elise that we're listening to? Elise. Yeah. yeah. And who inspired just a, an unbelievable tune on this on this record that I I really really love. Uh, the whole record is fantastic. Uh, my guest is Luis Bonilla. The album, as you've you've just heard uh, from Luis's assistant, is called "I Talking Now." And uh, Luis, it's it's such a pleasure to hear the record, and it's it's been a lot of fun talking to you. I thank you for taking the time to do it. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. It's it's, it's truly a pleasure to be uh, to to be a part of your your outreach and support, which is hugely hugely important to uh, to all of us.
That was Luis Bonilla from his new CD, I Talking Now. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. If you want to keep in touch with what's happening on the show, you can do that in two easy ways. One is to sign up for the mailing list, which you'll find at thejazzsession.com. There's a link that says mailing list. And the other is a Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, just type The Jazz Session into the search box and you can join the group. Either of those methods will get you one email a week every Monday morning, which will tell you uh, what is on the show and who's coming up in the weeks ahead and give you some other interesting jazz links. And that's all you get. You get the one email a week, tells you what's coming up. There's no spam. And uh, I don't sell your addresses to anybody because <laughs> I don't have those kind of connections. Uh, also, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, which is not always jazz-related but is often jazz-related, uh, you can uh, go to twitter.com slash Jason D. Crane. D is in David. Thanks to my good friends in the Respect Sextet for providing the music for this program. You can find them online at respectsextet.com. They're performing all over the place these days. Uh, they've got gigs coming up in the next few days. Uh, in January, I think on the 11th or 12th, I think it's the 11th, they're going to be at Le Poisson Rouge again uh, with a very cool special guest opening for them. So uh, definitely check out respectsextet.com and find yourself some seats at a Respect show. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. So that's it. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I'm really, really grateful every single time I see that anybody other than me has downloaded the show. And as thousands of other people do, it makes me even more grateful. Please remember to support live jazz, the real thing, out there in the clubs and the concert halls, whenever and wherever you can do that. And then come back here next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.